Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Liberty Squadron Podcast. My name is Andrew Lewinsky, and this week I am joined with Chris Apple. Hey everyone. Zach Katie. And Brett Freeman. Hi guys. Alright guys. Is, what? This isn't the Wookiee episode. Uh, oh. Alright, so let's move on. This is uh, nonsense. We should probably edit all this out, but won't. So we're going to jump right into this week's episode. Uh, a couple things that we have going on. We're going to just talk about like different practice scenarios that you can prep to. I mean, we have uh, Continentals coming up at Gen Con. We have the first Nationals tournament at Nova coming up, whatever they changed, Hyperspace Grand Tournament, whatever it is called now. But I'm sure a lot of people are practicing and getting ready. So we're going to recap like different practice scenarios and different meta expectations that we can expect to see with the next couple weeks. Uh, so right off the bat, though, I had a couple people ask me what the Grit Good logo says on our um, like on our logo, what it means and everything like that. So I'm not really going to get into it. It's a little bit of a mystery on our Discord, but I mean, I want everyone to reach out to me what they think Grit Good means. Um and spoiler, we, we don't actually know what it means. I don't even... Yeah, it's just... It's a tag. <laughs> it's a tag that we played. It's a play on words. If you don't, if you guys don't know what Gritty is, then um, you should Google it. You'll have nightmares. All right, so... But anyway, let's just jump right into our scenarios. Like, we're going to do, like, a little bit of practice scenarios. Things that you can do that, like, without playing a full game. Because a lot of times when you play a full game, you know, it, it does take a long time. Like, it's over an hour sometimes... And you might not get the best benefits out of that game that you could do, where you could maybe only spend like 10, 15 minutes doing certain things to help better your game, to like really practice certain scenarios that you might not see on a day to day basis that you might come across in a tournament. Um, so, like, yeah. the last episode, Zach kind of alluded to how, how, how practice is really the best way to get better. Um, and it kind of got us to start thinking about how, like, the way that people practice X-Wing. First of all, the concept of practicing X-Wing is sort of st stupid, right? Like, it's it's just this game we play for fun, but, like, the practice itself is kind of, is actually one of the more entertaining pieces of it. Um, but what, what, we, what I've noticed is that, like, the only way we really practice is just by playing games, and that's probably for a good reason, right? Like, if you play a game, that's the best way to actually simulate what you're going to do when you go to a tournament. Um, and the games aren't that long, so it makes perfect sense just to play you know, as many games as you can with the list you're going to bring. Um, this is intended to take that, like, one step further, and we haven't really thought all of this that, that far through, right? But just the concept of, like, you know, if, if you were ever on, like, an actual team or you played sports or whatever, you would do drills, right? You'd, you'd practice specific situations to kind of build up your muscle memory for that moment or whatever. It doesn't feel like anything like that exists for X-Wing outside of historically, like, someone would tell you to put rocks down in a bunch of tokens and try to collect them like hungry hungry hippo or like you know you you'd practice your rule of 11 in a vacuum right um but it never really there's no practice scenarios that go beyond that um so this is you know maybe it's something that over time the community can kind of come up with stuff that it you know is actually useful right yeah definitely i mean like comparing it to sports like putting the rocks down and flying around like that's just something as easily as dribbling up and down the court like after you perfect that like you should probably move on to the next step like as your x-wing game progresses definitely take the next step to learn harder and harder drills that you could do 
Right. So, but the trouble is knowing what it is that you should be practicing. Right. Like even being able to identify moments in games that are worth drilling is sort of like that alone is sort of hard, right? Because like none of us are that good at this game, right? Like all of us on on this podcast even are like, you know, we're not we're, we don't know everything about X Wing and we're not perfect players, right? And most of us are somewhere on the the journey of trying to figure this game out, right? Um, so even just figuring out what to practice is a challenge. Um, so we, we can jump into the various scenarios that we've tried to come up with here, but I, I guess, you know, I, the reason I'm talking about this is that it's sort of a challenge to the listener to also come up with some stuff like this, maybe 15 to 30 minute practice scenarios that you could do where like you and your opponent switch sides to get a different perspective on it. Um, and you don't have to play a full game to learn something really valuable. Right. Absolutely. Do we, so do we, do we, I was going to say, do we want to jump into uh, what a lot of these? Yeah, I mean, and a lot of these are probably going to be from an Aces perspective because that's you know what I've been flying recently. It's not all I fly, but it's it's what I've been using. I mean, um, the other thing to say that, like, I mean, like, if you aren't flying, like, I say we can look at like different archetypes, but like Aces really kind of might require a little bit of practice to get around because a lot of these lists, you know, would just be you know joust K turn joust again or do something along along those lines. Like, I know I put a scenario in here that's a little bit different, but um. Yeah, you have a lot of options when you are flying with aces. Yeah, well, I would be careful there, though, right? Because I, I think every... Maybe just jumping back to the grit good thing for a second. Um, the only thing I know that it means is sort of like an appreciation of of grit, right? And like like just sort of the nuance in what, um, you know, X-Wing's all about. So like like even low initiative jousty lists, there's, there's a lot in there to actually figure it out. Like Jonathan could probably speak to it better than than I can because he, he runs that more often than I do. Um, but, you know, we've talked about in the past the various types of jousts and stuff like that. There's there's nuance in there to figure out. Um, we just I just haven't come up with many scenarios specific to it, right? All right, so that's okay. enough, enough preamble, right? So, like, the first scenario, this is, like, right out of, you know, the tournament that I just attended, right? Um, so, is that, or, or Brett, last episode you had talked about how, you know, not playing through a game can can deprive you that like opportunity to experience trying to close out a game right right um, yeah and and like the opposite of that too is sort of like it can also deprive you the experience of trying to claw back and and you know basically come back from from an early game mistake which is often pretty common with aces i would say too yeah exactly so the first two scenarios are sort of in that mold right so theoretically right you could just put down on the table your ace of choice and then I've chosen three ARC 170s because I think ARC 170s, because of the rear arc, are sort of uniquely positioned to put pressure on an ace, um, even though, like, you know, it's not the end of the world since they're, they're really only barrel rolling. Um, so the first two scenarios are sort of, you know, one is a catch up scenario where your ace is on half points versus three ARCs, and you have X amount of time to essentially catch up on your points before you run out of time. Um, and, you know, you, you could sort of mix and match what the three ships are. It doesn't have to be arcs, but essentially you're just drilling the I've given up half points on my end game ship. Now I have to pick up the pieces. And a lot of times what that looks like is getting half points on two of your opponent's ships, you know, before 30 minutes expires. Um, so what's cool about this, right, is like depending on what you've picked, you can kind of switch sides on the table to sort of figure out, um, you know, from the generics or the lower initiative ships perspective what it's like to try and close a game out right or from the aces perspective what it's like to basically have to put pressure on your opponent have to do damage but you cannot take damage along the way 
because if you do, you're probably dead. And it's kind of fun because you have to take a lot more risks than you normally would with an ace while still playing safe at the same time. Like it, they, they kind of have to counterbalance each other out and kind of gives you a lot of really interesting choices. Yeah, like that's uh, like this is a random kind of thing to reference, but uh, uh, in NASCAR, they have this concept of like uh, being aggressively patient, right? Where like I know that's a totally random reference, but th- basically early game, you can be very patient and you don't have to be that aggressive all the time. Sometimes it can get you in trouble. But when you're down, you have to be really aggressive to catch up and, and you don't you can't afford to just opt out of engagement. Sometimes you're going to have to sort of accept a risk and, and, and find those risks that are, are going to pay off. So then the, the second scenario is your ace is on full. You're, va- you're, fa- you're facing essentially the same three other ships. Um, and you know you're just trying to get half points on one without giving up half points on yours. It's pretty much the same, but it's a slightly different condition in that you know you, you're you're not trying to come back. You're just trying to get half points on one thing potentially, and you can work out the opposing lists you know to to make this logical. And what's cool about it, right, is that like you know you can just sort of mix and match pieces based on what's in the meta to make this useful. I think um, not that we've actually tried this. This is the beginning of an idea. Anything else on that one? I mean, the, 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 the next couple is like, you know, the 1v1 matchup testing, which we've talked about in the past, that I've actually done and is pretty useful um, just because it shows you what your ship it can and can't do. Um, like, it basically helped me figure out that, you know, with a silencer against Jedi, I should panic if it's a 1v1. With a silencer against, you know, Vader or Soontir, I'm in pretty good shape. I can handle that matchup regardless of what the initiative order is, right? Um, so those kinds of 1v1 matches can be really entertaining, but you have to put a time limit on it. And you have to set some kind of win condition. So what I think is an interesting win condition is just first player to half points wins, right? And that's it. So you, you just set like a, a, a really short timer, put two two aces down, each player picks one, and your goal is to get half points. And whoever gets that, then you reset. Um, and it can kind of alternate between who's moving first and last if the initiatives overlap. Any thoughts on those first three? I, you know, I, I don't know if these would actually drill, you know, anything useful, but it's it's sort of about trying to find those scenarios that happen in games, right? Sure. Um, no, I definitely think they're very helpful. Where, like, I mean, just watching some of your games uh, from last Sunday, like, I, I was a little bit worried looking at some of the situations you kind of put yourself into. But like, looking back at it, it like makes sense, like. Where you were taking range two shots of at the arcs and stuff like that, as opposed to him taking a range two shot from the rear arc, like that—that that is like a perfect example of shots that you or like risks that you have to take. That like it, it might not be the best engagement, but it is something that you need to do to catch up. Um, but yeah, there's, there's going to be situations like that, and like the better that you put yourself in, like obviously you can always kind of like look at the math of everything and say, okay, well this is the probability of doing this and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's kind of like your dice are always, you know, a fickle mistress to, you know, they're, they're always going to be times that you blank out and, you know, obviously get all natties, but trying to figure out situations of where you can position yourself would benefit you from uh, doing like exercises like this to be like, okay, maybe I can try to take shots on this ship and I'd rather be in their rear arc as opposed to being in the front arc. And you can try to like figure that out of how your ship moves and how the other ships would move as well. 
Yeah, so like that was you know what, what you were referring to was my first cut game right from from yeah. Sunday and and that that specific situation is I kind of had a, a very poor beginning to that game and had to I had to catch up with Kylo against three ships essentially, um, and so that you know proved it proved not that difficult because of force charges which I've talked about a lot, um, but there are definitely things in that game that I was doing because I had to right because I I, I really had already given up half points on Kylo. Um, and even if, you know, I, I, I sort of knew what my win condition was, I couldn't afford to be too patient at that point. Um, so every, the way that I was playing him was very different um, than I would in a normal match. I, so, but like, th those are the, the first three A scenarios that I'd come up with. The, the fourth one was uh, specifically the opposite of, of the catch-up, right? Which is, you have a full ace, um, you are up on points, the game is essentially over if it were a full practice game but it's actually not right because your opponent could get half points on you and then the mov might split so or flip so the the fourth scenario i'm kind of suggesting here is basically just a a, a running drill um you know can you run to time with your ace without getting trapped um and this is you know even with the supernatural ace, uh, you can you can do very dumb things that that keep you in your opponent's arc. I do this regularly, right? Like I, I'm not really really good at running to time in all cases. Um, you know, you get more used to it. You start to understand that um, you know if something's chasing you, you can sort of hard turn to kind of get you know kind of shake it or whatever. Um, but rather than talking through the way to run away from multiple arcs. Uh, it, it's sort of better just to actually practice it, and and with that, I think it's it's sort of similar to the first couple of scenarios. But really, at the, the, there's no win condition here that involves you doing damage, right? The first couple were trying to get half points or you know whatever it is. This is you don't care about doing damage. Run to time. Run like you stole something. It, it's 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 interesting. It's a very interesting concept because I mean, like a lot of times, like you, you hear podcasts talk about like something about that you you basically as soon as you take or deal damage, you know the the right option is just to run to time. And like, can you actually do that? Like, I would say that a good number of people wouldn't be able to. So yeah. And I'm not suggesting that like a lot of times when you get up on points, the best thing to do is to keep the pressure on, right? And to keep kind of chipping away in a safe kind of from safe distances or whatever it's going to be so that you don't get in the situation where like one bad dice roll flips the script in like the last five minutes right but but for this specific scenario there are definitely times where a 100 percent avoiding combat is the best choice but if you don't practice that you're you're going to be bad at it uh, particularly against things with multiple arcs so like probably the best thing to practice this against would be like two half point fire sprays right like, can you run to time with your ace of choice against Boba and, you know, some other fire spray on half points? Because that hard one turn boost is going to make you kind of regret that you're running, right? It's not that easy, um, but it, it's the type of it's the type of practice that I'm kind of recommending here. One of the good things, I mean, like, I would try to we're going off what you're saying. Like, if you look at like say Whisper, she's like a real good one that you could. Um, maybe not just run, but like kind of play the arc game where she can kind of decloak and then do the barrel roll if she needs to. And then like a one turn as well in there. Like she's something that like she doesn't necessarily need to run, but she can play that game where you're just not going to get shots anymore on her because she's not going to be in your arc. 
Well, so so Whisper's an interesting case because depending on how you kit or kit, kit that thing out, like because of the cloak mechanic, you actually sort of can just run. Like you you know what I mean by that? Like like there's some ships that actually in the end game are just like, oh that that game's over. Right, um, right. The, the, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Like, you, she can absolutely, she can do basically what, like a seven forward with the uh, yeah, the like it's because of the speed, or, or, or like a gunboat, right? Like if you have a gunboat with slam that is for whatever reason moving after some stuff, you know, if you have vendor, like that, that game can be more or less over, right? But let's say like there's a case where like she's in a corner somewhere like that, like and something along those lines. Like sometimes that like that arc dodge to get out of arcs like you might have to do that for a turn or two before you can actually do that let's get the heck out of dodge you know yeah you're right you're right and it's like the concepts here you know again it's i'm not so proficient at it that i feel comfortable really explaining all the details of it i just know from experience that you know if you if you're not if you're if you're keeping distance from your opponents in the incorrect way they will corner you or um you know you'll be basically getting chased down right and it, it actually helps if you're an arc dodger to be moving towards your opponents at times you want to be close right bumping into them is helpful in these scenarios um you know all of a sudden even if you're stressed a hard one turn starts to look pretty good if you can just kind of you know pull the handbrake and end up behind them it, it, you, testing or practicing this against things that can freely k turn is important basically what i'd recommend is like you know practice this against things with you know that push aces don't practice it against like you know simple forward arcs that don't have options to begin with to deal with it um you know because if you can deal with it against the the multiple multiple arcs or the k turning ships like you'll be able to probably deal with it for the ones that are forward only there's that that one thing i do want to echo though that you said um sometimes if you're like a one-on-one matchup or, or like you know that you can bump to not take a shot like that's absolutely a win like that that I would consider that part of like arc dodging where you can essentially negate the shot by being at range zero of a ship and then you can try to figure out the next turn like sometimes getting out of the way or like it isn't going to work if you can line up a bump like that's fine if you're not taking actions or anything the point is not getting shot there yeah yeah i think we've talked about some of this in the past so we could probably move on but the key to remember here is definitely play both sides of the table right that's the i think it's important to do that i learned probably the most about how to fly aces while i was running basically as many strikers as possible right because all of a sudden i was kind of looking at the other side of the table and i wasn't like you know just you know overemphasizing the skill level required to fly an ace right um like just just definitely seeing the other side of the table for these specific scenarios can be good especially since I, you know people probably have limited time they don't want to you know practice play styles that they don't enjoy that much is a good way to get a flavor for it probably so you know, there's not too many more of these but just just want to keep rolling so uh we did a whole episode on you know how to deal with a box formation joust um or various types of jousts i i think it's actually a pretty good exercise just to set that up and then play through the first engage with the win condition being losing the least amount of MOV and then a fuzzy definition of whatever best options for next turn looks like. So you and your opponent can sort of decide for the, decide this between yourselves. But like, essentially, the, the, the scenario here is you, you have a, a Rebel Beef list against whatever list of choice. You want the first engage where the MOV is going your direction and then the options for next turn are going your direction. That's 
that's all. And like MOV is maybe an overemphasis, just basically that you won that engage from both players' perspective, um, and not just for that turn, but the very next turn. Any anything? Any comments on that one? That's a little harder because it takes time, right? Like if you've played through the first engage, you probably played almost thirty minutes, right? So, well, how would you? All right. So let, let's say like you are setting up one of these scenarios. How would you set it up? Like on the table, like as opposed to like give give them a visual visualization of what you would do to put this on the table as opposed yep. to just lining up at range one of the board edge. Well, so so I would go back to our kind of avoiding the joust episode, right? And you can just set up you know those types of approaches. That's that's what I would do. You know, set up set up the box in the corner. You know, whatever your turn turn zero deployment is going to be, play that out. And then just play through the first engage, and you can do that a couple different times. Right? It, not overly complicated, to be honest, right? Like, there's no specific way to, to lay this out. You're just, you basically just want to take the jousty thing, whatever is the jousty thing in the meta at the time, right? And and play out that box formation joust. Next one is kind of interesting. I, I, you know, it's it's something that I've messed around with a little bit in practice games, not as a scenario, but just in games against opponents. Um, but I think it's actually helpful to practice forcing a turret to rotate its arc or to spend an action on rotating its arc so you could probably just set like not lando because he doesn't count you just got to block him and you're okay um but just set up like han well not even han because he's i6 and can rotate when he's done but even forcing him to rotate's good right because he gives up action his action right um so set up whatever turret you want that needs to that that probably doesn't want to rotate to get shots but will if it has to um, and then the win condition for this scenario is basically force the opposing turret to rotate its arc uh, once, and then or, or maybe twice, and then reset, and then switch switch sides and practice again. Um, and that can be done with like you could you could use a full list for this. It doesn't really matter, right? Um, the whole point is that you want to, in order to to you know fight some of these turrets. Step one sometimes is actually being able to visualize where the turret's arc is pointing. Um, one of the things I really don't like about 2.0 is sort of like the the turret indicators on the base are actually a pain in the ass, and they're not very clear in all cases. It's just hard to move around, right? Uh, but but what can happen is that like you might just you know forget what direction the arc is facing, or you might not even be contemplating it. Now, like obviously you should be, but like if we're honest, like you've probably been in games where you weren't fully aware of where your you know opponents turret arc is facing um so that's sort of step one of like figuring that out and then step two is how do you force them to have to rotate that um it might sound simple but i think there's 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 something to be learned in there that's one of the biggest things that like i've run turrets for a little bit but like and i'm a big never change the turret arc because as soon as you change a turret arc you're wasting actions like even if you're boosting if you're not boosting to get out of arcs you're boosting to try to get things in arc. It's basically essentially the same thing as tur changing your turret. Um, and, and it feels great when you don't have to waste those actions on changing your turret. Like I've seen games lost and won be because of that wasted action. Well, so, so you're referring to it as a reposition, which I think is the right way to think about it, right? Because it's not always wrong. Depending on your list, it might be correct. But right. it's the, the, the general concept of not over repositioning with an ace so you have your tokens and not over rotating with the turret those are I, roughly equivalent That's i mean if, saying, right? if i'm moving forward to like maybe like reposition to boost and then maybe get like a range one and an arc it would be different but like if i have to do like a bank to kind of change my turret arc slightly 
to the back, I, I would do that over that. But at the same time, I'm kind of like missing the action economy that I would as opposed to focusing or target locking um, something because I don't have that in arc. Like let's say like for let's say for example Han Solo, let's he's got something behind him, but that he doesn't want shooting at him range one. Like he might have to do that one bank turn to get out of range two, which is a little bit more comfy. But if I have something at range one in arc, I might just be taking that focus or target lock, whichever one I need, uh, as opposed to having to turn and get it in arc. Yeah, no, it's it's all fair. Brett, you were about to say something. I was just going to talk about rack and how like I, I've lost so many games with rack because you have to rotate the arc maybe and all of a sudden rack is doesn't have his reinforce and he's dead or he's stressed and then he's blocked forever I, I mean so you know not rotating that arc is so huge especially because if you did rotate it once you very well might have to rotate it again because now it's suboptimal and you know it really can just screw up your whole game plan right so at minimum like doing this should give a turret player an appreciation for the types of upgrades that alleviate this right like a lot of times, if you're seeing a big base turret, you're not you're not seeing them very often. But when you do, like the list building process has already solved this problem slightly. It's why Tua exists, right? It's why you know it's why Force Crew exists. They let you spend that action freely. Um, racks racks a case where you really want that reinforce badly. Um, so yeah, I, like definitely play both sides of this because I've I've learned a lot with just running the VCX and running a dorsal turret, right? And like how valuable it is to to get those range one shots with the dorsal um you know the vcx doesn't necessarily require that so you know this particular scenario is more just about like flying something that would not otherwise get a shot right you want to force the rotate so the next the next scenario is something i've talked about a lot but this is like i think this is really really valuable because it opens up your list builder right and if you don't figure this out then there's whole there's just like a whole set of things that you'll never try and you'll never fly um so I definitely recommend, like, take an Upsilon, take a VCX, a Lancer, any big base arc or big base forward only arc kind of ship. Uh, and play through a couple of rounds where your goal, and this is like a pretty broad scenario that probably is much greater than 15 to 30 minutes. But just your goal with that game should be to get, you know, as many shots as possible with the forward arc only. So you know, your goal should be to take three consecutive shots on a target. It doesn't have to be the same target, but just three consecutive shots in a game using a big base forward arc only ship. Um, it sounds simple, right? And it's not actually that hard, but if you don't like actually try it, you'll never view it as something that's as easy as it actually is. I actually really like this one a lot. I've been running a lot of the lambdas and I mean, the, the difference in success rate when you get the full value out of that three die gun is is so huge. I mean, you have the upsilon in here, so the four die gun is obviously even bigger. But uh, it, it really just changes the game if you can do this big base forward arc ship well and get your full points out of it. Yeah, for sure. And this goes all the way back to like 1.0 pal bases and stuff like that, right? Where where people would drill the lambda just to figure it out. The lambda is a little bit different now because of the rear arc, and it tends to get like relatively close like range two range one rear arc shots at a certain point if it's not dead um but but it's still the same concepts right of like figuring out flight paths and you know working out basically you know your angle of approach so that you can get these consecutive shots um and with certain ships it's very it's different than others like the upsilon and the vcx and probably lancer which i have like no experience with 
are very direct ships, right? Like they're they're really just kind of going full speed at the thing that's in front of them that they can get to, right? Um, but doing that is good enough usually to get one or two shots in on the initial kind of you know approach. Um, but then sometimes you can end up in a really awkward spot where the third shot is really hard to achieve. Um, or even the second shot, you might be denied that if you're too close to the, that first combat. You'll just start bumping into things and they can, they can fully arc dodge. Um, so yeah, but specifically though, like you got to go for the big base ships that can't rotate. Um, I know the Lancer can rotate, but take Katsu and pretend he can't. <laughs> um, just stuff like that, you know? You, you basically want that arc forward anyway for the title and, and her ability but like one of the things to kind of touch base on that is the try to use the banks too because those arcs are definitely bigger and wider they cover more of an area so like if you're can actually maneuver with your banks and your like turns you're gonna have more things in arc more often so that's one thing to consider like i mean i know with the vcx and the lancer they have the k turn so uh, i think the VCX is a 4K now. It doesn't have the 5K where the Lancer still has yep. a 5K. Um, so they can use that to their advantage. But at the same time, a lot of times if you're just kind of jousting and then 5Kng, you're, you might get stuck a little bit. But if you try to use the advantage of how big those ter- or those front arcs are, you, you can maneuver ways around it that um, you, yeah. you can actually do it. Yeah, maybe like a 201 version of this is like how do you how do you line up and engage with those ships without having to spend the K turn, right? I mean, it's kind of it gets into sort of like almost unnecessary territory in spots because of course like with the VCX, my whole angle of approach involves a K turn at some point. I didn't bring Saw Gerrera not to be stressed, right? That kind of stuff. Um but you know, the Lancer I I I don't know as well, right? Where I, now that it's only a 4k turn is that is that something that you're 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 comfortable using probably with the force charges right um, um but yeah no exactly i would try to do these things without doing the k turns just because like it it's a little bit of a handicap like the way you approach that initial joust might be a little bit different because i think a lot of people are going to be seeing that as well like they're going to be seeing that these things can k turn so I mean, if you can take a range three shot, a range one shot, and then the K turn, like that would be huge. But at the same time, you you have to be ready for what your opponent's going to be throwing in, in your face to try to prevent right. it. And, and, and this is like we haven't fully baked any of these scenarios, right? So one thing we probably we would want to avoid with any of this is like you don't necessarily you don't want to contrive things that aren't useful to how the list actually functions, right? Meaning like so much of practicing a list involves practicing the entire thing. Right, because you you know you you have more than just you know this scenario in mind. Um, so, you know, so maybe in some spots it's sort of like counterproductive. I don't know. No, I get you. Um, we'll move on to my scenario that I threw up here. Um, one of the things that I this past hyperspace trial that I've kind of like got a lot of bit of, a little bit of practice into was. If you're flying low agility ships, the reason you can fit so many and why you bring them is because they pack firepower. And when you can basically take out an entire list and you're left with, let's just say, like an ace or something like that that you couldn't be shooting or they're purposely holding back, you now have options on the table of what you're going to do. So like, what my practice scenario would be would definitely be to get low initiative ships, like maybe like one or two, set them up in such a position that you're kind of facing a 
ace or something along those lines and then figure the rest out like i would say like maybe like two ships to one ace and then time it for like maybe like 10 or 15 minutes just to figure out what you need to do to win the game let's say you're up on points or anything like that it's huge because you have options like an ace is obviously going to catch you like is this something that you can try to half points that ace and then run away with one of your ships or something like that like running away as we talked about earlier is good for when you have initiative six initiative five ships but let's say you don't have that because you need to now figure things out like this would be a perfect example to maybe like cast nets like you still have to, you might not be able to kill that ace completely but you can still maybe maim it or try to get that damage onto it so i would definitely try to do something where like you are up on points but the ace is maybe like within four or five points of behind you and then really kind of figure out those scenarios like i would do things like maybe like set it up so that like you can try to maim it like and then run away what you can so like my like i said my setup would be set it for 10 to 15 minutes set it so you're facing the ace and then you have to figure out the next turn going forward like are you going to try to like set up blocking with one shot or with one ship and then you know taking a shot with another are you going to be basically making them guess which way you're turning along those lines so like whatever like kind of list that you're looking at that has lower initiative ships take a look at that like what you would do against something like let's say anakin or vader or soontier even like how you would handle those ships because a lot of times you might be up because that's they did exactly exactly what they need to do but are you going to finish that game like with so, so many yeah so many games like kind of ending on such a swing this is a way to really perfect it right and it, it does introduce a topic that we, we won't spend too much time on but like you know a lot of these lower initiative ship kind of lists are trying to end a game at time right and without giving up uh you know at half points somewhere um so so yeah you, you know you could take I think we joked about this back before vultures were released, but like we didn't really understand how many vultures would equal particular aces. I think I joked that like Anakin was equal to like six vultures, yeah. right? Like Anakin probably could just deal with six vultures and it's fine, but like he can't really in, in all cases. So, you know, like that that's, that's an example where like a, a separatist player could probably practice some of that. Um, I know I used to drill this with four strikers. I would just take four strikers versus an ace and try to figure that out. But that was more like just as part of regular games because I would just I would just do something dumb with whisper, lose whisper, and then you know try to just fight their list with whatever was left over. Um, the quad fangs that you were running, they're games where you lose fen and you have to play with the three zealous, right? Yep. Um, that's a great example. I like with this one that it sort of gives you a chance to work on being patient towards the end of a match. Right, like you probably have, you know, if you have, let's say, three Tie Fighters against Suntier, you know, you're gonna maybe have one turn if you set things up right, where you can get a block with one of them, and and the other two get decent shots, and you might spend three or four turns trying to do that, and you know, sometimes that's what you have to do to close out a match is is you have to try and figure out how many rounds you have left and what can you do to just get that one good turn because if you try and make every turn a good turn, none of them will be. Right. Yeah, there's some setup involved, right? And and like, you know, we're not talking about thinking so many turns ahead of the ace player that it, you you just you know beat them. It, this is more about you know just drilling those those setup movements where you you have to do that against higher initiative things, right? You have to do that thing where you give yourself some space so you can you can set up the net that Andrew was referring to. Right. I, it really kind of introduces a lot of, of scenarios. Like I know 
a game that I had with Paul where it basically came down to like I was up on points he was maybe one damage away from killing one of my fangs and there was maybe like five minutes left and it got to the point where like I could play ring around the rosy with the one ship that was damaged and run away with the other one like there's certain things that you can absolutely do like especially on like board edges and stuff like that like going back to what I was saying earlier was that like sometimes you can play the I'm going to try to arc dodge you I mean granted like one of the ships was stressed so I knew that like doing the one turn was the only option that he really had to do that could get me an arc so like you know I figured that out and did the two turn away basically blowing past them so there's it's interesting scenarios that you can set up that will definitely help this method out the last one here was kind of a, a dice mod game brett did you want to talk to that or was that from you andrew oh, that, no, that, that was for, yeah that was for me um just flying jedi in particular I, I found myself taking target locks basically every turn and and relying on the force you know to to convert those eyeballs and you know just preparing for that that hyperspace trial I had to really spend a lot of time trying to figure out, you know, in what order do I want to mod things because it's really easy, right? If I have three force and three eyeballs, I could just blow it all, but then I'm I'm really hurting for the rest of that turn and, you know, probably for the next two turns. Um, so, you know, just you, you got to try and figure out by running the math and, and just getting some experience with it, how comfortable you are with not optimally modifying things. You know, maybe you get uh, you know, one hit, two eyeballs, and you you re-roll one of the eyeballs with the target lock to, to save that extra force, potentially. If that turns out to a blank, maybe you just don't even spend a force at all, realizing, you know, I'm probably never going to hit Soon-Tier with this attack anyway. Um, so, I mean, it, it's not really anywhere near as, as drawn out as your scenarios are, but it's just something you really need to, to think about that, you know, you don't always need to spend those mods just because you have them. I mean, there's a deterrent effect that your ship's getting shot. You know, if they know now, oh, you have a, an evade and, and two force, I'm never going to hit that, that uh, you know, Obi-Wan. Yeah, this is closer to some of the scenarios that the Minox had put up, right? Which were very specific, kind of like, what do you shoot? How do you modify your dice questions? Yes. Um, but you can kind of even boil that down to something simpler where you're just, you know, just practicing what your you know your dice mod choices should be against particular roles and things like that right yeah and and doing it on the fly right i mean it, you know the problem with those minoc things is we all can just open up the calculator and spend five minutes and and decide this is exactly what the optimal move is in a game obviously you don't have that that luxury and you need to really be familiar with it so you can make that that right call on the fly yeah, and then the problem with all the scenarios we talked about, I just need to reiterate this, right? Like, the best way to practice is to play a game, obviously, because you get the full context of your list, you get sort of natural moments and things like that. But the problem with that is very often we're playing the same players over and over again. Your local meta may not have, you know, things in it that people are familiar with. So even if you ask someone to practice something, they might not be running it properly. So you're learning all the wrong lessons. You might never encounter the scenarios that we're describing here that are going to happen at a real tournament. So that's the whole point of this, right? It's just like you're not. It's not going to fully replicate the reality of a game, but just to just to make sure you're not surprised by things that happen. Um, and this isn't an exhaustive exhaustive list. I'm ho- hopefully you know it can evolve into something that is. Getting the probability of like kind of like working out dice mods and stuff like, but so one of the things you should also kind of take a look at is sometimes um maybe even going back to like my scenario like sometimes you 
could be in such a pinch that like you need to take the obvious risk that like might not always be the best like okay average like let's deal with this average solution and hope we get average dice sometimes identifying risks where you are behind and rolling through a rock and getting that range one shot and hoping to get better than average dice i mean it might not always be the best scenario but at the same time like try to identify scenarios where you can that would be beneficial to you as opposed to maybe um waiting two turns or something like that that you can't do it like do you follow well so so that's that's sort of part of what you can look for in some of the shorter drills i think right right? which is you know if just going back to the first example right if your ace is down on points and you need to catch up you're going to take more risks because you need to catch up so your definition of like what a risk looks like suddenly changes entirely without understanding a little bit of the dice modification that brett's referring to you can't really make good decisions on what you're going to do there right i mean you, you kind of can like you can you can sort of stumble into it um but but partly like coming back from a game that you're down on a lot of times involves doing something that you know involves you defending i know it sounds weird right but like you know, you sometimes you have to stay in arc of things to catch up. Um, early game has a lot of those those kind of same questions that we get asked, right? Where it's like, man, in the early game, I probably should be trading. There's there's situations where I should be accepting some risk because if I don't, I'll just fall behind. It varies based on list, right? Um, right. I, I mean, like, and like, so an example of what happened to me at the one, one game in the hyperspace trial, like. I made a big mistake by, let's say, I should have initiative killed one of his ships, and for some reason I made a dumb choice of spending a lock instead of, or like, so our, So the example is, I had a range one of Rick that had like maybe like two health left. He was tokenless, good to go, fan range one, should blow this thing up. So I roll, hit, focus, 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 blank. So, you know, I'm double modded. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to roll these, uh, all, all these blank results with the target lock and roll all blanks. That might have been a risk that, you know, initiative. So then that resulted in me not killing the Rick and then something like that, where I think sometimes maybe just guaranteeing yourself certain kills or certain plays might be the risk of, you know, and then I had, like, a range two shot from an R coming back at me, but, like, that ultimately did lose me the game because then he was able to initiative kill one of my other ships and where it wouldn't have happened. So, like, kind of, like, identifying risks, sometimes going back to that, yeah, you do have to sometimes take those risks and identify those risks of what you need to do. Yeah, and and having a basis for that is hard. I, I just, you know, being honest, right, like, how many of us actually know the dice math? I would guess the vast majority of people that you meet in tournaments don't. Um, at least that's been in my experience, right? I, I think there's a percentage that do. Um, very few people that are doing it during the game. Um, maybe no one really that are doing it like at, at a high volume. Um, but it's more about the feel, right? I and mean, we talked about that in the past. Like your, your list specifically, you'll, you'll begin to get a really good feel for the types of situations that you're describing as risks right and maybe some of these practice scenarios can help kind of get there faster so you don't have to play like 50 games to know um Um, before we move on zach do you want to add anything to uh like how you practice or you know do any kind of specific scenarios or anything like that or what do you do 
Oh, I thought I was just here to bring the orange slices for halftime. Oh, thanks, Zach. <laughs> thanks, Zach. Um, just I, I, sports analogies are pretty lame, but like you know, you, I think the key thing here is that like you know, most things that people do, they don't practice only by playing a full game, right? And I, you know, historically X Wing has stopped at saying, well, just play through a point where the game ended and then stop and reset. And I think Brett, you brought it up in the last episode. Like all of this came from basically you talking about, you know, like play through, and then Zach, your comment about practice. Yeah, I mean, I think all these scenarios are great, and like I said, I think the biggest thing that all of them really end up achieving is muscle memory. Like that's what you want to get down. In this case, it's brain muscle memory rather than physical muscle memory. But like, you want to be able to instinctively do things in specific scenarios. Uh, the way that I tend to practice is a little bit different than this, though. Like, usually whenever I'm, like, practicing for a tournament, I have, like, some rough idea of what I want my list to be, but I'm not quite there yet. So what I'll generally tend to do is take at least a ship, one ship, from that list, and then fly it in a bunch of other lists. Yeah. Yeah, that's really achieve, normal. To achieve the same thing, right? Like, for example, like, right now looking forward to Nova. Like, I'm fairly certain I want to fly Boba with something. So I'm flying a lot of Boba right now. Like, I want to get down to, like, the muscle memory of, like, knowing exactly how that ship operates, and then I can sort out the rest of it later. Totally. And I, you know, being, again, being completely transparent on this, I I don't think any of us have tried any of these scenarios out, right? Like, I've never practiced this way. This is just sort of like a kind of speculative thing, right? Yep. Um, Because it's also hard. Like, we all have limited time and we're just playing X Wing to enjoy it. So, like, the concept of, like, sitting down and playing a scenario that you're going to lose nine times out of ten over and over, I don't know. Like, maybe that's fun. We should try it. No, like, Like, just to to try to, like, segue into our next topic. Like, I mean, like, I know back at the end of first edition, like, one of the things that, like, you had to kind of do was prepare for. Uh, Lothal Fen, like, it's what you had to do, like, you had to figure out if your list, like, could take it on, and, like, you didn't always need to line up directly across the Lothal Fen, because sometimes that player might not know what they were doing, but you kind of had to take a hard look into the meta and, like, set up different engagements and figure out how to really beat that list, and, like, it didn't always, like, happen, like, I mean, like, there was times that, like, you know, you had to figure out the different like methods of approaching that list and everything like that. And like, this is ways that you could literally just like look at all these scenarios that we just listed and take some of these next meta lists that we're looking at and line them up against it with your list and see how they do fare out. Yeah. And then I, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because the way that I've tended to practice for tournaments has always been to get in a couple games against the things I expected to see. Right. So that I could understand the counterplay. Like that, if we we're going to rank kind of like what's the most productive way to practice for a tournament, um, actually playing with your list against the matchups you expect to see and figuring out how to counter it in game, that's the best thing you can do. Um, and then also just playing against some jank along the way. But this is just a, a, another option. I also think it's really helpful to play the list you expect to see. Because, uh, you know, you, you find out weaknesses playing against it, but I feel like you find out weaknesses a lot quicker and a lot more weaknesses when you're playing with that list and seeing yourself, oh, wow, this is what, you know, a bank in in this situation would, would set me up for. That would be really bad. Yeah. 
yeah, definitely like flying. Like I've only really flown Jedi just to figure out what they're uncomfortable with, right? Like that's I've, I've pretty much only run them because I wanted to to sort out, you know, is it does Obi Wan, you know, really fear any particular situations? It's easier to figure that out in a couple games actually running them than it was, you know, just losing consistently to it. If that if that's kind of definitely useful. Um, so let's move on to let's let's take a real quick look at this uh, Paris system open because is this four Ewings in the final table? Yeah, we have like no <laughs> data again, um, but the Paris system open didn't include wave four, but the final table was four Ewings versus Hatchet Man. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, know. I don't have a lot to say about it. But. Yeah, I mean, like I, I like that Hatchet Man. Oh, and this is post points too, right? Yeah, so it's post points excluding wave four, right? Okay. Which is weird, but uh, yeah, I mean it's it's uh, not too surprising to see, you know, the unchanged list that was doing okay before the change, sitting there. The four U wing list had made cut a couple times over there. I, you know, it's got a lot of words in it. <laughs> so just I guess for the listeners, right? This has uh, perceptive, copilot, chopper, benthic, uh, selfless, uh, half. And then a Jin Urso Tax Scrambler Blue Squad and a Leia Blue Squad. I don't know that that needs a ton of explanation. Everything that I just described there involves damage mitigation, you know, or being able to freely rotate. I have played against four Ewings a couple times, and I know I've talked about it on here once or twice, but its defining feature is it just kind of doesn't go anywhere. It sort of it sort of just can kind of walk along a side of the board without fortressing and can't be called for it. I'm really curious if this was caught on stream that much, you know, what the what the approaches were. Um, but I I don't know, like, like, do you guys have any... You, when you think of that list that I described, are you afraid of it? Uh, I mean, like, so the, it reminds me kind of of... Not necessarily for Phantoms, but, like, at the same time, it's something that, like, it's... How do you approach that? Like, it might... Exactly what you said, it walks up the side of the board, and it's kind of like, you don't want to get near it. Like, it's something that you just want to... Like a U-wing that you can, sure, you might be able to initiative kill it off the table, but you're not doing it to three of them or four of them. Right. I mean, so so I guess we can get into a little bit because it's sort of an interesting list and it's it's probably new to people. Um, the thing that it does is like you'll be trying to flank it and then all of a sudden you're not, right? Because it just turns, which is the same thing that most Leia things are able to accomplish. But then on top of that, like once you get closer, you enter just bump hell right like you you once you're closer to that list it can be really difficult to to get anywhere um it can perma block you essentially so but on, on the flip side they take damage somewhat quickly which this guy has clearly done everything he can to solve that problem right he's got you know basically the whole list is functioning to add evades and draw damage away and things like that um but the, the point is that you can definitely take down one of the u-wings and and that initiative kill a second. There's a there's a clear end game there, right? Maybe. I mean, I so this came in second, right? As a to the um Yeah, I I just like I was just seeing chatter of people like, "We don't know how to fight this." Like <laughs> I I don't know. I it's not it's not new. Um Yeah, it, it's something that like it, it's just very it's very tanky and it shoots a lot of dice and it's Yeah. Uh, it, as soon as someone figures it out and like 
people see like how to take it down it, it'll disappear i think very fast i mean like this reminds me almost of like the five y wings that like it's it is what it is that's where or, i'd put it i mean yeah. it's still lay beef so it's kind of boring but <laughs> go ahead i'm saying it just reminded me of tripsalon like once you figure out the puzzle yeah it's it's not hard anymore just well, don't get too close to it. i will hold on though there like tripsalon there was no figuring that puzzle out that's why it got killed you couldn't counter it um because of the range one nature of it like you kind of could but it wasn't like do you agree with me on that because like I, like the testing that i did against that it was sort of like you just took shots and you needed to pass a health check right in order to play that game uh, let's not talk about trips on anymore let's move on to the well, all right yeah we can move on i'm <laughs> just saying on. i'm tired this, of talking this poor about U-ing list isn't trips on is, is I, all sure. i have to say um, so, all right, we we're talking about like all the scenarios, how to prep for Nova. We're going to talk about like what we're expecting to see as far as lists go on each of them. Um, maybe we each take a little bit chunk here and talk a little bit about each list. We don't want to go too deep into it. Um, I'll start off with scum. I'm not expecting to see a lot of scum out there, but if you do see it, this is what I'm probably expecting is ketsu with ulti ketsu looks super good like you just see her popping up all over the place in lists right now she got that point reduction with the Shadowcaster title old tarok is a bargain for how many points he is and then you could really fill it in with whatever i5 that you want in there um and it's gonna do damage like it's a one hell of a joust and it's probably gonna take something off the table in that first engage uh, Boba and Guri, there's no surprise there. IG-88's, um, IG-88A has so much, with that point reduction, he's got so much functionability that, like, he's just gonna be throwing tokens around left and right that it's something to keep an eye out for. Like I said, I don't know if we're gonna see a ton of scum in the field just because I think people are weary of it right now, but you should probably still be prepared to, like, understand what is happening with their, their list. Uh, the, well, we got like a Blair Swarm with Torkoal. I, I mean, I've gone up against this a couple times and it's, it is something to worry about. Like it sucks getting your ace at initiative zero and then just getting blown up by a bunch of Z95s and tractor, um, space tugs. So yeah, I, I included this one just because of the cartels, right? I think that's the big, big right. change. But the, uh, the cartel marauders. Oh, really? I think you gotta. You have to look at those now as as options in here. Sure. Um, again, I, I don't know if we're gonna see so much scum out there because, like I said, people are still really weary. But at the same time, I guarantee that there's going to be at least a couple in the big cuts for all these national tournaments. Right. So maybe what would be interesting here, if you had to pick like two lists from scum to actually, you know just do some mental prep for or get a practice game in against what would you pick is it the ketsu list ketsu and then what else and boba with something else i, I th- definitely think okay. they're the two that you will see like ketsu definitely and be ready for it like i mean like understand how tractor beams work and understand that you know you might have to try to like scoot your way around this one and not engage it right off the bat but that that is definitely the one thing that you should definitely prepare for like boba is just going to do boba things he's going to slam in there real hard and he's going to boost right into your face so there's nothing new there where i think people like prepare to be triggered when you get your thing tractor beam and 
you know, Ketsu tractor beams your one ship into someone else's arc that you thought you arc dodged, but nope, she threw it right back to where it was. And then, you know, old Terok's taking shots and Cavill's taking range one shots. So that that's something to actually really kind of like look at. And a reminder that it's not just tractoring you, it's tractoring itself, yep. right? To set up the first engage. So yep, there, there was, be aware uh, of I mean, that. I, I've been doing a little bit of testing with this and like there was the one time that like I set up old Terok in a manner that like, if I were to go five forward after that uh, first round of uh, movement, I was going to slam into a rock and I was like, wait a second, let me just get to uh, old Terok a little bit to the right. And then like that five forward worked and then he was able to just whip around that rock real fast. So be prepared to like all those tricks right there. You want to move on to Empire? Yep. Um, to complete to this somewhat quickly, I, I think, I think if you're preparing for an extended tournament, and we don't really know, but like if you're preparing for a tournament, nobody knows, so you got to try, right? Um, I think you can expect to see some trip ace lists with fewer toys, um, still trying to bid. So I wouldn't actually be too shocked to see some like hyperspace trip ace lists end up in Swiss at like extended tournaments. So Vader, Soontier, and Duchess might show up. Um, I have in my notes here you can now run like you can run Vader, Echo, and Whisper. Seems like a decent decent list. Um, so yeah, that that's an archetype that's probably out there and is still bidding into the low 190s. It's just definitely bringing one or two fewer upgrades for sure. Um, if you want like the full uh, Vader, Whisper, Soontier list, you actually drop, I think, all upgrades from Soontier. You have to drop FCS from Vader and just take burners. And then you get Juke on Whisper at 200. Um, so I, I don't know if people will still run that. Brett, you're probably the most familiar with that list out of any of us. Um, but trip aces still seem relevant. It does, but I, I think you've given up way too much at that point. So I, I personally got away from that. It makes it, me sad. Yeah, and maybe you start looking at Echo as an option in that. Um, you know, downgrading Whisper. Who knows? I, you know, what, We're not trying to fully define what the best versions of lists are here. Just sort of what to expect, right, for an extended tournament. Have you looked at any alternatives to to that besides Echo? Like anything jumps out to you? So I actually have just sort of switched to to Palp bases instead. Um, just get that Palp support and drop out Vader, and basically uh, keep Whisper full and Soontier. I, I can put Predator on now, and then uh, you know when Soontier has an Evade, a Focus, a Palp, and a Predator, he's pretty damn good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I, so that's something that's a good transition, right? I, like Hatchet Man just won that system open in Paris. I think Palpasis is something that you should expect to see. Um, it's it's great, right? I mean, and there's many different combinations that you can run with either a Lambda or a Reaper. And uh, it, it, it works pretty well. I the, the only concern with it is that, you know, you still need to do damage in, in matchups. So, um, you know, just that, that's something that I... Like I expect to see pal bases, and I expect to see a lot of copies of Hatchet Man. Um, but I think there's a, a better variation on it that's out there. I don't know what it is just yet. Um, you know, th- there's an evolution beyond the the vendor list that probably needs to happen and will. Um, and I, I suspect that some of the early extended tournaments here are gonna gonna drive that. So rest of Empire just to blitz through it. I think you know we've talked about phantoms in the past. There's there's stuff like you can run three phantoms and Jendin all with FCS. So that's not quad phantoms, but that's still four things. Do we um, think that we're gonna start seeing phantoms with the passive sensors coming around? I haven't really thought too much about it. I 
I, I don't know the answer to that, Andrew. So I've been running that to try it out on Whisper, and it it's pretty solid, right? Because I, I have Fifth Brother on there, so I have a you know a Force mod. I get Palp for another Force mod. Um, I might be able to coordinate a, a focus. And then on those turns where you're just not getting a shot, or certainly when you're not getting shot at, just taking that, that target lock for later makes a big difference. Blanks on Whisper always hurt so bad. And now we finally have a way to, to take care of that that's not, you know, super crazy expensive. So, but do you prioritize that over, I don't know, um, I guess at three points it sort of fits and lists a little bit differently, right? But I feel like when I'm building Whisper, I'm always looking at Collision Detector or Fifth Gunner, right? Um, but, you know, Passives just gives you that little bit of, of setup is sort of what you're saying? Right, yeah, and, and I, I, I don't go with Outfit Brother. I just find the force is, is so critical, so it, it's just making my Whisper more expensive, unfortunately, but um, okay. I would like Collision Detector, but I, I don't have the points for that, so this seems like a, a nice other option. Yeah, yeah like, I mean, that's just, cool. just the fact that you can actually give her the target lock for once like seems like it might be solid for a little bit. Yeah, it feels like I, I would need to test it to sort of understand... Um... I guess Whisper's at a price point now where uh, she's still very defensive and able to kind of be a reasonable endgame ship. My only worry is the offensive output, so maybe that helps solve that. I, I don't know. Um, um, so, so, yeah, let's move on. Sure. So, so last couple lists here, uh, Sloan Swarms, they're like a whole bunch of crazy Sloan variations that fit now at nine points. Um really want to talk too much about them because they're no fun to play against <laughs> uh but but yeah i like nine points matters and it it sort of changes some of the options um you know you can you can fit a lot of ships next to a, a sloan platform now um the one thing i and, do want, i want to say about this is if you remember how many lists were in like the top top cuts with sloan prior to that first points adjustment like i would be shocked to see that not just resurge yeah, it's tough because they, they dropped off really quickly um, after the first point adjustment, right? And we, we didn't really see them again. Uh, so there's sort of like two variations on it, right? There's as many ships as possible, all low initiative, and you, know, you can take the four striker plus Sloan Lambda thing. Or there's the like four ship Sloan builds where you have an endgame ace that you're trying to protect. The old KG like whisper builds that I think depended a lot on a hyper offensive whisper. Uh, back when Vader, you know, you could still take Vader, Vader Gunner, and all that, or the Vader crew. So I think there's variations in between that could probably make cut. Uh, I don't know what the best Aces variant is. It's it's hard to say at this point. Last last item here to shout out is uh, Squad of Legend. <laughs> it still fits at 193. I think you just have only Juke on Whisper, which is sort of really not a great end game. But you can run a Predator, Soon Tier, Advanced Sensors, Torp. Redline and a Juke Whisper in the low 190s. So I don't know if the power level of everything around that has gone down so far that it's relevant again. Um, certainly, looking at a thing like Hatchet Man, um, you know, Hatchet Man has like nice, nice options because of Palp. But if you're running Vader and Vinder, you know, the the at least Vinder can sort of run away with the Palp support. But it's a very offensive-looking list. It's somewhat durable, I guess, but it is a is a squad of legend without anything on Whisper besides Juke that much worse than Hatchet Man. I don't really know the answer to that, but it seems like it's worth a look. Um, I and, and then, then Inferno yeah. Swarm. I don't think you'd see much in extended, but 
it's there. It still sucks. I just flew up against an Inferno Swarm on Thursday, and I was just like, I hate this game. Threw my, <laughs> threw my game in. Threw everything in the trash. Oh, man. Um, All right, so let's go I, to... Uh, yeah, I was going to say this. We want to first order. Uh, yeah, there, we don't have to talk about... It, it's the same thing that we've broken down for yep. hyperspace. It's the uh, same exact thing. There's there's no variation from it. Just just be prepared for, uh, you know, taps in an SF beef, and that's about it. Oh, uh, that's it? That's all we got for first order? Oh. I, I really don't have... I mean, we, we, it's because it, it overlaps so much yeah. with hyperspace that sure. it, it's overkill to talk about it because there's nothing really to add. Um, there's no there's no new cards that they don't have. Yeah, so. Sure. Um, okay, you know, so... Like, yeah. We did. We just. We did so many hyperspace breakdowns. Sure. Um, so, getting into the same thing with Republic, then, Zach, I want to ask you this: out of the three things that we would see, like let's say Anakin plus you know two or three ships, Obi, Mace, Rick, uh, maybe Padme or Sinker Beef, which do you think would probably pop up most in extended? Uh, probably still Anakin. You think? But my gut is Sinker Beef. I think Sinker Beef is still right there. Like, I think that's one of the things that, like, could absolutely just contend with a lot of the things that are coming at Extended. Yeah, I think it's just not sexy enough to show up and extend it all that often. Oh, my God. Are we just going to talk about how sexy <laughs> Jedi are? Well, well, so there are going to be a lot of Jedi. Sure, there, there are going to yeah. be a lot of Jedi. I, uh, people want that mace card. I guess it all comes down to the card that people want from these things. Yeah. Um, so, like, we I know we breezed by first order, but there's probably going to be a whole bunch of first order just because people want the Kylo card. Yeah. Um, and it's not terrible. Like, you know, like it's it's okay for extended. It's not great, but like, you know, it's still decent list. So, I assume all the things that are good in Republic, like the best things there, are, are going to show up. Yep. Yeah, I don't see much change at all between hyperspace and extended for republic right i i guess you know if you're running sinker beef are there better alternatives in the extended card pool probably um but not too much better right? you know like the they they the republic beef is actually seemingly pretty good so probably shows up and then a whole bunch of obi and rick and obi and mace yeah, yeah like, like that's I mean, more I... what i think i'm gonna we would see is lots of obi rick obi mace anakin and stuff like i think jedis are still the popular thing for a public. They sure. may not be the best thing, but they're the popular thing still. And you got to keep up with their damage output, right? That's true for extended too. Yep. Yeah, I'd, I'd be shocked to see if we don't see maybe like some arc beef out there too, just popping up. Maybe, maybe not that guy necessarily from... like four arcs, but like maybe like just something that like higher ship count. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, I mean, like we haven't seen too much of like one Jedi plus like a whole bunch of of ships you know like like a generic jedi or whatever right like we only really have talked about the the sinker swarm you know that we saw in florida but i'm sure there's many different variations on it that people are experimenting with uh rebels do we think rebels are going to make an appearance they should um ap5 leia still works and that worked beforehand um john's bigs list seems good (laughs) um and variations on that probably work and then you know you, you have uh you have VCX lists that were making cut pre points that still work. So you can run Wedge, uh, Hera, and Nora with Leia and Saw still. So, yeah, I, 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 I don't know that it'll be super popular because people have sort of moved on, but 
you should be aware of it. Yeah, like I'm, I'm curious to see like what is going to pop up and if like these the prize support of how they're panning it out, like if it's really going to affect what you are going to see. Like obviously there is going to be those people, but like the other hand is that like some people are going to want to want the win as opposed to just the uh, you know the the one prize. So I'm curious to see how rebels do show up. What's the card for Rebels? Because like the obvious thing is Whisper, Kylo, and Poe. Everyone wants those cards, so those factions will get taken more. But then there's like Maul and what else? It's a Y-Wing for Rebels. Can't remember oh, one. yeah, no one's going to take Rebels. All right, so don't worry about Rebels until you see it across <laughs> the table. And then you can yell at us. Um, so yeah, but like Rebels, you should know what it is. Like you're going to see Wedge still probably pop up. Biggs is something to worry about. VCX is, you know, they're so many points to chew through um, and i still like that bcx list i think it's pretty good it's cool sure i don't know if you would see so much of the e-wings pop up i mean they got a point reduction but i mean it, there's something to look at i mean like that alpha cert that they can dish out is pretty hard i would say um so they might That's pop up yeah. just uh don't expect them with plasma torps um i feel like the <laughs> general consensus is e-wings are still bad and overcosted, but i like that that's again i don't have experience with them to really comment um but that's just kind of speaking to the consensus that i feel in the community right like no one's practicing or testing e-wings that i'm aware of i, I, mean, I don't like locally right like i just just strictly locally have you seen anyone in philly run an e-wing besides yourself i so not philly oh, sorry andrew yeah go ahead go ahead uh, was, I, I know paul's been messing around with gavin for a while um i'm trying to get him away from it uh, but yeah, I know he's having a lot of fun with it, at least. I mean, I flew Corin for a solid, like, two months, and I- I'll-, I'll be honest with you, there is absolutely nothing wrong with... Um, I mean, granted, the Proton Torps went up, but, like, it's... There's nothing wrong with it. Like, it might not be the way that you want to fly your list, but I, I think... If you do see someone without Ewing across the table from you, be prepared for that alpha strike. Like, it's going to hurt, and then, you know, you're going to have to deal with the mess afterwards, and then you're not going to be able to see it again until it's ready to take that second alpha strike. Yeah. Any Anything else from Rebels to, to, to think about that's sort of like an edge case? I don't... Not that you would really be preparing for right now. No. That random falcon across the table, that's about it. I guess trench run still crops up a little bit, but like that's just a, it always has. Yep. And essentially, the VCX list is a trench run variant, right? I mean, it's it's a three ship alpha strike kind of thing. Uh, um, so yeah, same. Let's go into resistance then. Yeah. So lots of interesting stuff to talk about in resistance. I I think you know we, we last episode mentioned that Ryan had sort of made an early cut um, from OCX with with a two I five uh, node in kind of Greer list. That's really cool. Um, so I suspect people are going to maybe try to copy that a little bit or make their own variations on it. Uh, and then, you know, like an example of a variation is you can run three, te- three T70s and Finn. Um, I think Allo, uh, Ninnub, and Pava fit with Finn, and you can do PA, Black One, and two copies of Heroic. Um, that, that actually, on paper, doesn't seem terrible, right? Uh, I don't know if it'd be super popular, but people will want the Poe card. Um, taking multiple I-5s and four ships doesn't seem like the worst way to do that. Yeah, I'd be shocked to see if like we don't see a couple rays pop up. I don't, I'm not saying that ray is going to be good or anything like that, but I, I think 
I'm a little bit surprised we haven't seen more Falcons on the table since their point adjustment. And um, I would be shocked if something doesn't pop up where it does turn out to be pretty decent. You know, the only thing I've seen on or played against on Vassal and stuff like that or, or you know, elsewhere is just the Ray core um, combination where, you know, it's like the, the stress relief Ray. Um, and then there's other things out there that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know that anyone really believes in yet because they the Falcon still feels like it just gives up its its points too easily. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can you can fit Poe and Han in a pod and that that's not a terrible list. It's just it, I don't like we talked about last episode, like people not taking scum because it sort of doesn't pass the their kind of arbitrary definition of what's useful. Um I think the Falcons are in that category for a lot of players. I buy that. I, I mean that's been on my radar since that very first points or the this last points adjustment that the Falcon. I mean, I talked about it a lot that they're they got that big points adjustment, and um, I think it's just one of those things that it's a matter of time before someone figures it out. Right. It's just no one's actually trying to figure it out right. themselves. That we know of. Someone's probably sitting in their basement listening and being like, I've got it, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I'm sure they said that to every faction that we've right. gone through so far, right? Because it's extended. I mean, like, the cool thing about this is new things are going to crop up. So rest of resistance, I think you'll see some experimentation with uh, 4A wings or 5A wings. Maybe mix in the, um, the pod in there and then... Uh, you know, a whole bunch of players running bad quad T70 lists and, and being a little sad. Um, so, yeah, sure. that's resistance for me. Um, all right. And then the separatists, you're going to see the same exact thing that you've been seeing. Uh, you might see yeah. some swarms. The only thing we didn't talk about last episode I, that was actually at top deck was the uh, T, TA-175 kind of seer and the, and the I-3 ESC list, um, which I actually played Uh I think during in my sixth round, no, something like that. Either way, that, it's a pretty good list, and TA one seven five is pretty solid, apparently. Yeah. Um, so you know that that maybe crops up. Apparently, two uh, separatist lists made cut in Paris as well. There's that. I think the moral of the story is the smaller factions aren't anything to scoff at anymore in the extended, you know, category. Like they're, they're still going to perform, and like maybe when they first came out everyone was kind of just like okay you know they're going to be underrepresented and like they're not going to perform but they are starting to crop up and they are starting to make cuts places yeah that i really don't have a good read on because like on paper still that feels like they're all at a huge disadvantage right um besides republic like but that's that's just feeling right when you look at you look at first order you look at separatist um but you know, even first order, I, I should probably be a little bit more positive about because the matchups did improve, right? That's or they, they maybe they improved. All right. So before we wrap up this episode, I'm going to ask you guys. All right. So with Nova, who, what faction do you think is going to take it? Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. What is? What do you mean? Like win the whole well, thing? Yeah, or which faction do you think is going to win? We got seven factions. Who do you think's winning? I um, take a stab. I think like highest cut percentage is a more interesting question. But, no, just who wins it? Um, Rebel beef. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, I I don't know. I mean, it's who wins it is like it's just an impossible question. I mean, so, yeah. all right. So, Brad, what about you? Empire all the way. Zach. Also, I was voting for John there. 
if, if they <laughs> voting for John. Well, you know what's going to happen is Jonathan's going to make the cut. He's going to no. This is exactly what's going to happen. And I know Jonathan will listen to this. Jonathan's going to make the cut and then not show up for day two because that's what he does all the time. Um, and then Sam Page wins the whole thing. And then Sam Page wins the whole thing. Um, so, Brett, you say Empire? I do. Palp Aces in particular. Palp Aces. Is it going to be Duncan? No, it's going to be Brett. Oh, it's going to be Brett. Zach, what do you think is going to take it? Empire. As much as I don't want to say this, I think Empire is going to take it too. Empire or Republic. I could take it the other way. I mean, like, so we, we should probably gather the, like, not gather the data, but, like, I mean, just take a look at to see, like, how many system opens and extended factions um, have won each of these, like, big tournaments. And, like, I feel like uh, Empire just has the biggest advantage over everything. Empire and Rebels. Yeah. Well, so, but you, you get why I don't, like, you get why I was saying that the cut percentage is a more interesting sure. question, right? Because it's right. just, like, these cuts are just a disaster. Like, every cut is just, like, the most random kind of circumstances leading up to the final table. Um, like, it's meaningful, and we're always very proud of the people that win and happy for them, right? But, like, I, like, like even just whatever the winning list is gets copied a lot and sets the future meta, right? But it doesn't... It's, it's really hard to draw conclusions from unless it's, like, super high volume, right? Right. I mean, I'm not trying to, like, you know, go into any, like, deep, you know, oh, wells, you know... And this list made the cut ten times, and uh, you know, well, I, I was just trying to have fun here. So yeah, no, I hear you. Um, so like the 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 question for 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 Nova, I think the biggest thing for me is how much are these cards going to drive what shows up in Swiss? Like if we're talking about like just fun random questions, like which of the cards do you think people want the most? Mace Windu. Mace Windu. <laughs> okay. It's motherfucking Samuel L. Jackson. I do really want the mace card, but I also really want the whisper card. Like I, I have, I do have to say that I, I sat and thought about like, do I want to play a faction just for a card? So their incentives oh, are man. really working. So if you're finally making a list choice based on something other than like its ability, I, I we should take notice, right? <laughs> and and I didn't right, but I did think about it. Oh, so, okay. You know, fair enough. It's definitely going to skew the meta a little bit. I mean, like I know. This popped up on the Minoc page today about how Farmer asked if, like, so, like, with L5R, the top player of each clan made day two cut. And it would be interesting to see if that got skewed at all, like, the data got skewed at all, if that were the same case in X-Wing. Like, let's say an underperforming faction, like, say, CIS, um, maybe more people would take that if they thought they could be the top CIS player. I guess the other question it raises: What alt art would get people to run separatists? Is it Darth Maul, or does it like, like, is there something else in that it's faction? Watt Tambor. Watt Tambor. <laughs> if there was a Watt alt art, you're right. I think we'd probably all go out in droves and play separatists. Everyone. Sexy Watt next. Oh, maybe. Uh, Techno Union. <laughs> um, all right. So, anything else before we close out this episode? Anyone have any shoutouts? Anyone have any last comments? That's all we got. Like we can end on the yeah. what alt art as the future. It's the future. It's not going to be the Liberty Squadron X alt art, but uh, we should have a preview of that within the next week. And on that note, if you are a fan of the show, check us out on Facebook and on our Patreon page. Uh, it, all that money that we get from there goes right back into the community. 
and you know we try to you know basically give it right back to you guys in any way that we can other than that i think that's going to do it for this week's episode and i want to thank you for listening and have a good night live every week like it's shark week